we do Facebook advertising and um, Google ads. And we talk a lot to people from those companies because of the money that we spend on those formats. Yep. And every piece of advice that they've ever given to us is wrong because they, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's amazing. Um, they don't understand the niche and they don't, yeah. they don't understand the client base. Gamers are smart people and they yep. don't fall for the same tricks that other companies do, which is great. You would think at this point that uh, I would stop being amazed by the path people take that leads them to the tabletop industry. I sit down with Michael Konas of Dog Mike Games. Now, I will tell you out of the gate that I am a shill for this company. I own several of their products. I have their GM screen, and I love their work. That's what made my conversation with Michael even more fun. We talk about what led him and the other Michael to form Dog Mike Games. We talk about the mistakes that were made, the successes they've enjoyed, and the process that they go through from idea to concept, through iterations to final product. Like previous guests, Michael is so enthusiastic about his work and it's infectious. So I'd like you to sit back, relax, and enjoy my time with Michael. Third Floor Wars delivers interviews, insights, and discussions about everything hitting the tabletop. Rule books, plastic models, dice, and cards in hand. Let the gaming begin. Tabletop games let you escape and unleash grand battles and regale epic tales of adventure with your friends. If you love gaming and learning from players, designers, experts, and creators, you are in the right place. Pull up a chair. Craig and Ray welcome you to the third floor and the Tabletop Talk Podcast. Craig here on the third floor. Today we're talking to Michael Konis of Dog Might Games. Their gaming accessories are nothing short of legendary. Now, I love my WoodGM screen, and I also got a great uh, token organizer from them as well. And listeners remember our episode with Alyssa Menold, who works with Dog Might. So, Michael, welcome to the third floor. Well, thank you. Um, you you have an amazing radio voice, so <laughs> I hope I can keep up with that as we That's go funny. on. I am not known for my on-screen or on-air presence. <laughs> Your voice is incredibly charming, Michael. You're doing oh, thank a great you. job. Thanks. That's good. Flatterer gets everywhere. <laughs> so obviously, we're going to spend time talking about the business, how you got into the business and stuff like that. But first off, do you play tabletop games? Because you sure as hell make stuff for it. Yeah, I played everything. Oh, um, yeah? Yeah, I'll play anything and everything. Um, I RPGs are my my love, basically. Um, I'd not quite a forever DM, but pretty much as close as you can get get to it. Um, my SO is a game designer, so oh wow, we try everything under the sun. Um, we're doing a lot of like escape room games right now. She's really oh, cool. into that, and I, I'm kind of digging on those. They're a little too really puzzly one after the other, and yeah. I, I enjoy kind of an immersive story more for that. Um, I love Fantasy Flight LCGs. Game of Thrones is one of the reasons we started the company, actually. The, no the kidding. LCG, yeah, surprisingly. Um, I was in a 10-year Pathfinder campaign at the same time. Uh, we just played Champions. We played Marvel Champions, and I, I, I like the new shiny, so you know, I get Marvel Champions, and I got to get the Thor deck and the Hulk deck and, know, and try it like, out. It's a problem. 
It is. It really is. But uh, Marvel Champions is okay. I think it's, are- it's good. It's a little fiddly, mm-hmm. um, just a little bit. Like, I feel like it could have been streamlined just a little bit more. But that's me getting picky because right. I, I thoroughly enjoy playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that, that they give you the preset decks so you don't have to do the custom build. But if you're into that, you can. I don't put enough time into the game to do custom build it. So I just love I can just go, yeah, pull these cards out. Let's play Thor. Have you done the Arkham Horror LCG? Oh, it's a great game. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, one of the yeah. best things out there. Uh, no question. One, yeah. of, one of the slickest design pieces I've seen in a while. Completely agree. And it, it um, it's fun to play, which usually fun and Cthulhu don't go together, but it does <laughs> here. It's fun to play, but it still feels that, you know, the, the doom threat, like uh, the board game is amazing. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just a little too fiddly for me. Like, yeah. I just don't have time to spend an hour setting it up. Uh, another hour explaining it, and then we've got to put this token here, put that token there. It's a great game, but it just, you know, it takes four hours to play it. So yeah. Kind I of mean, limits things. Exactly the same way. Like, yep. get me playing, get me on the table, and... And, and you know what? 20 years ago, was I had time. I just don't have time anymore. So. so I'd be curious then, Michael, what introduced you to tabletop games? So before you knew you could do any of this stuff and, you know, push pieces and roll roll dice, um, wh- who introduced you to it? Well, I was playing D and D as a in, as a twelve year old kid. So, and I don't know. Is that think, really your kind of your first? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And um, that was back in nineteen bigger belly than I have now, or smaller belly than I have now. But um, and then I think my story is kind of similar. You, you went away to college and yep. didn't play for a while, and then you kind of get reintroduced. It. I was I was in art school at the time, and I remember going to a Barnes and Nobles and and seeing 3.5 edition D&D and it looked amazing and I bought it and I hadn't played. I, I don't have friends that played and uh, I, that it's very strange how life leads you down this weird path because that purchase of that one book probably is why I'm here talking to you today and in, in a weird crazy? sort of event, you know, chain of events. Um, but I met Cameron, uh, the other Mike in the company. Yep. I'm, I'm Mike. He's Mike. I call him Cameron. That's his last name. So um, and he was, you know, into Catan and Dominion and all the kind of the, the entry level games. Now, the old classics now. Oddly right. Enough. Yeah, I know. And um, we started having a game group together and then I got him into the Game of Thrones LCG. Nice. But he, he he's very similar to what you were explaining. He just didn't want to build the decks. And yep. we had two other guys in our game group. So I found myself building four LCG decks every week before we'd play together. I'd send them, it, you know, like a Word document explaining how they would play them before we met, which they wouldn't And then read. I would play the cards for them. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> which they wouldn't, they wouldn't even read them. So like, what's the that's point? funny. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and oddly enough, that's, we were, it was after one of those game nights and Cameron and I were standing in his kitchen after everyone else had left. We're like, we really just need a good intro game that we can put together and play that's easy to teach and fun. Mm-hmm. And we made a little stupid game for our friends to play. And that's Oh see now, so this is news to me. I did not realize that Dog My Games started off making a game. Yeah, it was a terrible decision. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of money in making yeah. games. <laughs> there's a there's a reason you haven't heard of those games right now. That's <laughs> Yeah, it was, that's it, funny. It was actually it's a game called Lake Billy. I, we met. We lived on a chain of lakes in Michigan, 
And uh, it was a play on the term hillbilly, and it was just a fun kind of drinking game. Really, <laughs> oddly enough, heavily influenced by an FF, FFG LCG, which is in the bay. We had traits and like combos, and but <laughs> game it was of still, chairs. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> but that was we actually we just started to. And Cameron's crazy. He's he's a nut. So I I was in art school at the time, or I think I had just graduated actually. And, so you guys um, were young. Yeah, we were pretty young. Well, yeah. yeah, it was eight years ago. So I don't know if I qualify as young, but <laughs> well. that's eight years younger. Um, so I started messing around on the computer. I was, I'm an analog artist at heart. Oh, okay. I was an oil painter, acrylic painter, watercolorist. Yeah. And it was my first kind of foray into the digital world. And uh, it's funny, if you look back at that deck, you can see the first one I did. And then I, I literally... The learning. Oh, it's insane. And <laughs> That is funny. I drew like 89 cards for that game. God, it's incredible. Artwork. No kidding. So you said uh, kind of your your love is role playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, you know, the podcast is known for its Malifaux uh, mm. content from by Weird Games. But I have very much gotten back into role playing a game. So we've been doing a lot more role playing game content. But even before I rediscovered role playing games, I've made an argument for the past 30 years of my life that role playing games are the apex of gaming. Like, Mm -hmm. I I love board games. I love Malifaux. I love mini games. But just nothing, nothing does it for me like role playing games. And I get you're nodding your head. So what is it for you that makes you just love them so much? Oh, it's the it's the wide openness. It's the you can do anything you want and give give me show me a board game that can get close to that. You know, Gloomhaven, Frosthaven, um, Kingdom Death. That they're they're kind of heavily rooted in that dungeon crawler aspect, and you just can't. I'll I'll role play a you know a game of pickup sticks like sure whatever board game I'm playing, I'm going to be role playing because it brings such an immersive element into it that it just helps. And I, I think for me, that's it. And there's the camaraderie with a group that is really clicking. Um, it just, it doesn't compare. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a co-op game, really. Yep. And it, as a DM, I view it as a co-op game. And I love co-op games as board games. And I think whatever whatever RPG you play, if you play it right, it's a co-op game that everybody builds together. And it, I, I agree, Craig. I, you just... How else can you get that? Yeah, you just can't. And when I when I explain it to people, um, you know, I say to them, you know, like I have played a lot of games in the past 30 years of my life. I've played a lot of freaking games, 40 years of my life. When someone says, you know, what's your favorite gaming memory? Like the top five are all RPGs mm-hmm. because it just it, it, it's like it's that shared uh, mythology that you build with friends that just burns in your brain. And, you know, I can't tell you you know, what game I won of Malifaux three years ago, but 15 years ago, I can tell you what the Druid that I was, you know, did, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, over a period of 20 minutes, it's, it's amazing. So guys, uh, the Insider Insights series allows me to talk to developers, designers, artists, writers, and industry insiders about their creative process and how they approach their work. And today we're going to learn how Michael and Dog My Games came to be their process for designing and creating epic game accessories, and apparently games too, though I've got your new game and I love it, and what it takes to run a company in the gaming industry. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue the story of the founding of Dogmite. We'll be right back. There are so many online retailers. 
it can be hard to find one that is trustworthy, has great prices, along with some reliable customer service. On the third floor, we love ordering our gaming goodies from Gadzooks Gaming. Their selection of terrain, miniatures, dice, custom decor, and conversion bits are curated for gamers by gamers. You'll find they have what you need and what you didn't know you needed to take your gaming fun to the next level. If you mention Third Floor Wars in the cart notes of your order, you'll also get a free gift and you'll help support the podcast. Check out gadzooksgaming.com and mention Third Floor Wars on checkout to get that free gift. So as, as we were chatting before the break, we kind of talked a little bit about this, right? So you guys, you know, you finish playing one night, you're sitting around the table drinking beers and you go, shit, I bet we can make a game. Uh, you learn how to work on a computer because of it, right? You learn how to translate <laughs> your talents to to the computer itself. Um, so you push the game out there. Um, and, and was it called Dogmite Games at that point? No, it was under my, it was under Cameron's programming company. Uh, I think it was Vobius at the time. So that's probably why it's not in our oeuvre online anywhere. Uh, thank God above for that, frankly. That's really um, we're not good game designers. Uh, we are just not. <laughs> Cameron and I. Now, Doug has reached out another direction since then. But Sure, sure. So, yeah, after we released that game, and honestly, Kickstarter was relatively new to us at that time, and it, it really hadn't reached that kind of Kickstarter crescendo that occurred yeah. three, four years ago. Um, so we we heard about Kickstarter halfway through. We were actually making this game, and we decided to launch it. Um, just after doing a little bit of research, we put it out there and thought, well, look, here's an opportunity to see what we could do. And we had these amazing grand dreams of, you know, plots of like, if it does $50,000, what are we going to do with that money? And it was foolish, foolishness at the time. <laughs> I think we we closed around nine grand, and my aunt Linda put us over the edge with like a twelve hundred dollar pledge. So, <laughs> God bless Aunt Linda. God bless Aunt Linda. She is wonderful. Yeah, um, that's and then, funny. So we decided to to do another one that was more mainstream, and that's called Livestock Uprising. Well, before we jump there, though, Michael, sure. so what was the learning between the first and the second? Right, so you weren't deterred enough. To, right. To yeah, stop, not a whole right? lot, actually. <laughs> Did I mean, before you jump into the next one, I mean, other than you were better graphically using in the computer and stuff like mm-hmm. that, you you did a Kickstarter, so you, you understood it. But, uh, what what prompted you to say, you know what, this is awesome, let's do more? Like, how did you know you needed to do more? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, actually, I think it was the act of creation, yeah. frankly, for both Cameron and I. And when we did that, um, I was painting in my studio for eight hours a day and teaching part-time as a professor at a university locally. And uh, Cameron was working on his own PC game, and I think we both needed a partner. Those are awfully, like, lonely jobs. Yeah. And I think we kind of grasped onto having a partner, and we worked together really well. Um, Still, to this day, we brainstorm better than anybody else I've ever known. That's a big deal, man. It is. It's huge. Yeah. So I think it was just more the love of working together that kept us going. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly didn't see it as like a profitable enterprise after that, after the first one. <laughs> Let's make another nine grand. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We did better on the second one. I think we did 15. That's so great. 
but the, the weird part is after we so we put out livestock uprising which is a better game it's don't play it like just don't it's terribly linear the artwork's good the theme's good it's a little funny but you know play with your 10 year old nephew or niece but sure don't play with a gaming group please um and while we were waiting for fulfillment for that from china um mike made a deck box he was a, a hobbyist woodworker at the time as okay. well and had a nice shop and then we started toying around with that um we made little accessories for the livestock uprising game <laughs> and it, we had a little wooden trough as a token holder and card holders and and uh th- they went over really well on the kickstarter so we kind of decided to delve into that a little bit as we waited and we wanted to keep working together God, isn't that funny how that path goes? It's crazy. It really is. Everything's everything's a weird kind of river that you just yeah. you, you get go down. So then you start dabbling with the wood. Mm-hmm. Um, you push the second Kickstarter out. Um, are we at Dogmite yet? Are we at we're okay? So then we say, you know what? Maybe and is is Dogmite the woodworking in your head at that point? Or? No, not at all. It was the game. Okay. I, I think we formed the company with the second game. Gotcha. Um, just because we had to, we wanted to separate it from Mike's old company and, and yep. get to tie it into Kickstarter. Um, and, but we did start delving into the wood stuff a little more seriously at that point. Um, I think we did a little deck box that didn't do very well. And then we did the dice chest and it was a simple candle box design. Um, I remember when he, he brought me the first one that he made and I was playing in, in that Pathfinder game. And, uh, I'm like, let me take this to my next session, see what everybody thinks. And we just made a couple revisions and thought about how we could customize it thematically. Mm-hmm. And it went well. And I think we did 40 grand on that one. No kidding. Yeah. And I think that's the point when we said, okay, all right, we're not game designers. We're, we're grunts. Let's, let's get out in the wood shop and see what we could do. And I had, I had experience as well. I was a painter. I was making my own right. stretcher bars and frames. And so I knew it was an easy transition for both of us. And I yeah. think, honestly, we're just more physical kind of guys. We just responded really well to that. From a design perspective, both of your expertises apply, right? And enjoying games, you get a feel f- for it. And Lord knows there's a market, man. There's a market for high-end gaming accessories. And yeah. I'm, I'm your target audience, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, um, and I think, and I lied to you. I, th- I thought the component collector was the first thing I got from you. I think the first thing I got from you was the uh, deck box that splits Yes. Yeah. You know, with the, with the magnets, is that? No, no, no. That might be somebody yours. else. That, that might be somebody else. Just it might be Elderwoods. <laughs> it might be Elderwoods. Maybe that's who it is. Or, or Wormwood. Um, could be Wormwood. When you said deck box, it made me go, holy shit, was that dog might? Um, <laughs> but I am your target audience because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have, I'm not 17. I have disposable income. I enjoy gaming and I like having like nice things. Right. And I like upgrading the experience and one of the first things when i realized that i was going to get back into role-playing it was, and i had coveted your screens right mm-hmm. seeing your screens in your newsletters and stuff like that for a long time but i'm like i can't justify that but boy as soon as i got five guys saying they play a game first thing i did was go yeah. and buy one of your screens and part of that is because i knew it was really good but let's keep talking let's keep moving forward so then sure. you, you put out the candle um candle style Th- um dice holder right that mm-hmm. goes over really well that's when you realize hey this this might be something yep um what's next uh the adventure case was the next one 
And, and that's that's kind of an interesting story too. The adventure case is kind of a travel box for GMs. Yeah. So it, it opens up on hinges. <clears throat> the top the top portion of that box has two interior doors that open up, and then it makes a screen out yep. of the box that you're using. So just a, a real nice, clever little idea. Nothing nothing game breaking. And uh, we went to our first Gen Con with Livestock Uprising, and we had before we went there, we had. We had some deck boxes and some dice chests, and I think we had 10 adventure cases that we made. And uh, we sold all the adventure cases the first day at Gen Con. Wow. Stupid. They were 60 bucks. They were ridiculously low priced. Right. And and not at all profitable. But one one of the people who is still fans to this day that that visited us, um, I had one adventure case there as the prototype to show everybody. And I wouldn't sell it. And he came back every day and kept asking me to sell it. And I'm like, I, I just can't. I just can't do it yet. We've got to, we paid this much money for Gen Con. We have to go right. through it and make sure everybody <laughs> sees it. So I think after that was when we hard pivoted. And then we did the Adventure Case Kickstarter. And that did, I think, 85 grand or something. Very nice. So at that Very point, nice. we, the games were gone. And yep. the, the wood stuff was 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 all it was now had you both at that point committed this is going to be a full-time thing or was it still a side thing oh still a side thing yeah. i was i was an adjunct professor in arts in at the university um cameron was a little luckier and he dove in quite a bit his wife is a surgeon so gotcha um, that a flexibility. Us, yeah a lot yep. of flexibility so yep. he he worked really hard we were both working seven days a week um Jeez. for years for probably three years at least wow and, wow. you know, and that's after two years of the games. And then we jumped into the wood stuff. So so I've talked to a couple of people, Michael, that are in the industry and that, you know, we talk about this transition with them as well. Right. When you start to realize, you know, like this might be more than just something I do on the side that allows me to go on vacation once a year. Right. You start realizing, I'm, you know, this might be a profitable thing. But what I keep hearing and, and tell me if this applies to you is there's the fear that tomorrow it could end. Right. So that you but eventually you start to realize, like, I'm I am on a thing. And I'd be curious to know when you and Cameron kind of figured that out, when you realized that this was not going to go away, that this was not, you know, we're going to put out four Kickstarters and then nobody's going to buy anything afterwards. When did you get a feeling like we have we have tapped into a market? That's interesting. I, I, I can remember one conversation that I had with a, a friend of mine. He actually came by the shop and he was visiting us. And it was when it, there were probably three or four of us. Um, it was Cameron and I, our very first employee, and then somebody else that we had just hired. And uh, he said something that really resonated with me. And he wanted, he was pushing us to get out of the shop. Um, right. Because that's all Cameron and I were doing was working out there every day. And that's, it's not sustainable. And right. um, he said, if you get out of the shop, will people stop buying from you tomorrow or in a month or in a year? And we're like, I don't think so. I think we can delegate that and, you know, oversee Keep the enough. quality control. And, and then he said, can you go make that up in sales on the marketing side? And that was a, a game changer. And, and he actually, he was a, a business consultant of ours eventually. Um, he's a C-level kind of kind of guy. Right. And he, he saw us from our infancy all the way through. And so uh, it cool. was kind of funny. It was really funny. But he... After a while, he's like, all right, you have one month, um, get out of the shop, do, yeah. whatever, do whatever you need to do to get out of the shop because it's, 
it's now become an entity bigger than a garage entity. And yeah, that's cool, man. Mm -hmm. That's very, very cool. Um, so obviously the GM box was huge. And I remember when that thing came out, I was like, Mm -hmm. that's clever as hell. Um, when did, when, when did the screen design happen? So for those listening that aren't familiar with their stuff, if you haven't already gone to the website while you're listening to it, do it. They've got an incredibly clever system that they use for the screens. And I'm, I'm going to let Michael explain it because he'll do a better job than I did. Um, I ordered mine, not understanding how cool it was. Like I understood how cool it looked and the feel of it. And I already had some of your wood products and I knew how nice it was when I got it. I was like, son of a bitch, this is really, really clever. So Michael, you, I'm sure you can explain it better than I do. Explain how your GM screens work. Sure. Um, we have, we, we initially started with three panel. Um, they're made out of banded wood. There's, so if you imagine three separate panels um, held together with side magnets and steel rods that hold them and click them together. So it's very flexible to move around yep. the table really easy. The coolest part, like the sexy part, is the sculpt on the front. So we have Alyssa Mental draw designs for us, thematic stuff, um, dragons and Cthulhu and taverns and spell books. And then those are sculpted directly into the wood. So the front side's very thematic. And then the back side's all utility. Uh, Still beautiful because you get kind of the flat panel of, of the wood. But each panel has six embedded rare earth magnets um, equally spaced, and then you get a couple of plexi panels, either half panels or full panels, depending on what it is. And those are really helpful for attaching maps and charts or writing dry erase. I think the dry erase is one of the best kind of features for me, um, yeah. Because it's 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 a notepad that you don't have to put on the table, and yep. and table space as a DM is is huge. Um, it comes with ball bearings that click on those magnets as well. It's pretty flexible. Um, we have a lot of accessories now that we've kind of added a pen holder, a dice rack, a little shelf that's really popular that just to put your minis on so yep. nobody can see them and they're not sitting on, you know, you're just sitting in the Avernus book or whatever it is you're 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 running at the time. Or Malifaux, yeah. not Malifaux, but... Uh, through the Breach. Through the Breach, yes. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, well, and the other things that I love is I love the initiative tracker slots. Yep. So there's slots along the top that they have to get these really nice dry erase clear markers for um for initiative which again yes i could use index cards fold it in half and put it on there but every time i pull out my little like the table loves it the table mm-hmm. loves it and i love it because they're cool and they feel good um the other thing that because i wasn't aware of the steel rod magnet that connected them all and that's the part that i was like wow this is like i put it together and i was like wow this is really cool and then i was like oh i can go pipe two more panels Right. So now I've got a five panel. Well, mm-hmm. that was easy to do, um, but I can make it a three panel when I take it camping with me and I run games while I'm camping. The other thing is the pack flat. Right. So, it, it you know, you can take it apart, pack it flat and just it's, it's very clever, man. Very, oh, very clever. Thank you. What were the iterations on that? Like, what, I'm sure the first uh, version didn't look like that. No, the first version was uh, it was for a, a, a show for Geek and Sundry, actually, and, and was the first one that we built. And um, I, I built it in the shop and it was. More, it's hard to explain. If you can imagine a, a small, little U-shaped cabinet on the bottom of the inside of your DM screen, okay, like like a wide O on the right. bottom of each of those panels, and then the panel itself is nailed to those. Oh, okay, and it's miter cut so it all fits in one set area. Right. So that 
obviously not as versatile, a pain yep. in the ass to build, just impossible <laughs> to reiterate. Um, and then we did, uh, we did, we did, uh, uh, a custom screen for vampire, the masquerade on geek and sundry. Um, which was that, that was kind of the breakthrough one. And the first one, you'll see that if you go to our site, we have, it's officially licensed by white wolf and it's a vampire screen, but it's still kind of the old school. It wasn't sculpted directly into the wood. It's either a metal hand cut metal applique or a sculpted wood piece that is then applied into the wood. Got it. Um, so it was actually Alyssa and Lindsay, our creative director, that suggested that why don't we cut it directly into the wood? And they presented us with that, and that was the game changer. And I think that was about two years ago, two and a half years ago. So um, what do you see going? Well, actually, before I get into that, let's talk about the challenges of, of doing this, right? So, um, you know, every small business, medium-sized business has its own challenges. So I don't want to get in that. Do you notice any particular challenges in the gaming industry um, and, and, and being a producer of products in the gaming industry? Ooh, that's interesting. Um, specifically for the gaming industry, you know, I think we're always fighting against that perceived niche yeah. a little bit. And, it, and we get, we do Facebook advertising and um, Google ads. And we talk a lot to people from those companies because of the money that we spend on those formats. Yep. And every piece of advice that they've ever given to us is wrong because <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's amazing. Um, they don't understand the niche and they don't, yeah. they don't understand the client base. Gamers are smart people and they yep. don't fall for the same tricks that other companies do, which is great. And we talk to each other. Yeah. And you talk to each other. Yeah. Yep. I, and it's, it, that's, that's one interesting thing that is, I think we learned a long time ago um, and it's helped us immensely. Um, we know in our marketing is, is we try to make it nice, but it's, it's not, you know, the psychological creating a need in that isn't a need kind of that kind of psychological gaming that occurs in other yeah. companies. And I don't know. And I, I think Kickstarter, the platform is uniquely tied to the rise of gaming. I think it's no there's a synergy there. Yep. And, and that is a completely different business model than any traditional business. And a lot of, like a lot of people just don't understand that. And yeah, that I was actually, um, and, and I might look it up and give it to you offline, but I was reading a really, or it was, no, it was a podcast where a guy is a, an economist, a research economist, and he was talking about um, some of the fallacies of advertising on Google and Facebook and stuff like that. So it was, it was interesting for you to say, to say that because um, it ties to uh, what I've been learning about, about that process too. But uh, there's a language, right? You can't use the same type of, of uh, headlines and stuff like that, that other industries can use and have it work on gamers itself. And again, you have, or I'm telling you how you do your business. Right? So <laughs> shut me up at any point. No, please. <laughs> but my perception is, is how I should phrase this is that you have a, like I said, a very specific niche, right? So, I mean, you put up an ad on Facebook and I'll come across it. Right. And the, depending on how long it's there, the one thing I'm guaranteed is I'm going to flip through it and I'm going to see comments like, Holy cow, that's amazing. That's what, and then there's gonna be somebody going, Oh my God, you know, I would get it if it wasn't X dollars. Sure. Right. And, yep. I mean, and you know, by the nature of what you're producing, people are priced out. Um, and, but luckily, obviously there's been, there's enough 
guys like me that appreciate it and know that, you know, if you want something nice, you got to pay for it. Um, has that ever been a challenge for you um, as far as, you know, a fear of pricing yourself out? Or um, have you just learned now that, um, you know, you make good stuff and people will pay for it? Yeah, both of those are true. Um, okay. I think now we certainly know, you know, I, a lot of what you said earlier is, is, dead accurate for how we think of the business as far as, Hey, I got a, I got five people that want to play in a game. What do I have? What, what can I get? I need a screen yeah. because other than that, you have minis, you got dice, you got books and, and people like immersion. Our industry loves immersion. I, I do. I've got yep. a ton of our stuff. I've got a ton of <laughs> other people's stuff um, it, because I, it's a lifestyle. It's not, it's, it's it not about one, one night or one event. Um, and we've tried to go the other route with, um, trying to have more entry level stuff that's 20 or $30 just to see what that market would bear. And as an American manufacturer, it's just not, we can't compete. Right. Especially right. now, especially now, maybe eight, seven years ago when the industry was a little bit smaller. Yep. If we were first, maybe then, but I that just, you know, everybody's got a laser engraver now and a, you know, how many wooden token organizers are there now sure. and then game trace comes in and like right. everybody's doing there's always someone else coming up behind you that's going to do a clever idea better so what what's that leave us that leaves us the luxury high-end really yep. killer stuff that that has a really high barrier to entry has there been a temptation to to outsource any of this and and take it overseas no no yeah. never it, it just we can't there's it's not what you do right it's, it's not what we do and, yeah. and i don't i don't think it would they just couldn't do it as well. Maybe it's possible. I, I just, I don't know. I love our crew. We have the best crew we've ever had, and it's just not an option right now, or hopefully ever. How uh, how scary was it to actually have your first payroll? To actually hire your first person? That's oh, got to wow. be a scary moment. Yeah, it was. Um, <laughs> it was Brendan, and uh, his nickname was Puzz. Long story, but um, he was actually a stretch goal on our adventure case. Uh, Kickstarter. <laughs> so we put him up. I think if it was like, if we reached 50 grand, we'd hire him. Oh, that's and, amazing. <laughs> yeah. And he was, he was a, a lumper. He was working for us part-time, but he was a lumper full-time for some other company. That I don't know what a lumper is. It, he had load, he load big boxes into trucks. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. But you have to do it a very specific way and, and do it. He was kind of the, the organizer of that. Um, but he hated the job. He hated his supervisors. So he was coming in to work on the weekends with us. And uh, we told him he knew he was a stretch goal. <laughs> I love this. Yeah. So we launched, I think, on a Tuesday. And I think we were at like 25, 30 grand by the weekend. So we brought him in on Monday and, and said, hey, we're going to we think we're going to do 50. So we'd like to hire you full time. And he said, yeah, I put my two weeks in on Friday. No shit. <laughs> yeah. So he knew. And it was great. He was he became our production lead for a while. That's um, great. Yeah, and, and moved up with us for a, a good long time. Great guy. That's cool. That's very, very cool. Um, and you may or may not be able to talk about it, but uh, what's dog might look like a year or two from now product-wise? Is there things that you're excited about? Is it um, more and better or more indifferent? Or? Well, it's more and better, I think, is, is probably the first answer. I have a dream. I have a dream. Um, there's a product I'm, I'm kind of – at the initial stages of, I don't even know what it looks like exactly yet, yeah. but it, it's kind of the other thing that you don't know you need yet. 
Because I think there's a lot of coverage already, right? There's dice yep. boxes, there's screens, um, there's dice, there's dice towers, there's rolling trays. There's a lot of things, but what's that next thing that hasn't been built yet? Um, I don't know. That's that's my dream. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Oh boy, you get me excited, man. That's yeah, cool. And, and we'll see. But it's yeah. gotta be it's gotta be right now. And I think that's certainly a lesson that we've learned. We used to go like pedal to the metal and put out, hey, I have an inkling of an idea. Cool, let's make a hundred of them and put it out there and see what happens. And we're much <laughs> smarter now. But one thing that we're working on right now that it, this is the first time I've ever mentioned it. It's a visualizer. So a lot of the, the screens that we do, we, we do a process called selective staining. And, and a simple way to put it is a, a paint by numbers, okay. basically. So we have a, imagine a dragon on a mountainside. Um, you could choose what color you want the mountains. You could choose what color the sky is, the dragon, the wings. Um, and that is a huge part of our Valhalla screen sales. And, yeah. and, our, and our craftspeople are amazing. This is all hand-painted. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, it turns out really, really well. But we're having really interesting orders because Selectively Stained is available on our website with not much information. So then our customer service team reaches out to you uh, within a day or two and says, cool, what would you like? And a lot of them are, are very easy. I want the wings yellow. And, and we give them kind of a, a PDF, almost like a coloring book page where everything's separated by value. And they right. can choose A is blue, so the mountains would be A, those are black, and the wings are B, whatever. But yeah. a, one of the things we find is that our our clientele are a little more creative with their descriptions. So we'll get like, I want the spell book to be legendary and mystical. Interesting. So that's that's hard for our team to work on, especially when that's our customer service team finding out what they want. We pass yep. that along to our finishing department and, you know, Thomas is, is standing out there. Poor Thomas, our head of finishing going, what does a mystical color scheme look like on a candlestick or, yeah. you know, so we're kind of, we're going to take away a little bit of that kind of opaqueness to it. And we're going to make a real time visualizer so you can pick oh, a design okay. and basically color it in. And a lot of the stuff that we do is a lot more complex than that. So I say, the wings of the dragon are red that that's one part of it. So there's an initial colored tint to it, but then there's an overwash of a ebony based oil stain that pulls it all together. So we're going to yep. have those options available and you can see it in real time and choose sanded highlights or engraving on the back. So, so what I hear you saying is one uh, from a customer standpoint, I'm going to be able to see my screen. Mm -hmm. Right. Which is huge. Right. And I'll be able to play with it. Right. I'll be able to play around and go, yeah, you know what? Uh, blue sounded really good. But now that I put it next to the red, you know, so that's huge from a customer standpoint. Um, but from a labor standpoint, that's got to be big for you as well. Right. The back and forth and stuff like that. That's time consuming. Yeah, it is. Uh, and ultimately expensive. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a really, really big deal. Um, you know, Hero Forge, like how many people have made Hero Forge minis? <sighs> Just I, would, I would love to see that stat. Yeah. I would love to see the stat of the number <laughs> of Hero Forge minis made versus versus done. But it's I mean, it drives the site, right? Yeah. The traffic comes there. And, and I'm, I would imagine that you might end up seeing something similar. Mm -hmm. Like the, what percentage of people design a screen and never order it. But yeah. that creates the funnel, right? I mean, right. you know, that's that's 
internet marketing 101. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, I had been, like I said, a follower of you and a customer of you for a while. Um, and it only took me getting one or two things from you to realize what you guys were doing. Um, and like I said, no brainer. When I got back into RPGs, literally the first thing I did was reach out and uh, buy a screen from you. And part of that is, is because I had been coveting it. Like I had bought it like three times in my head <laughs> and just needed the excuse, which was five other guys to go. Yeah, I'll play. I'm like, good. Because really what I wanted to do is order that screen. Um, but there's another company out there, um, uh, Wormwood and um, how I know nothing about their products because I've never owned any of them. Right. Um, but they're, they're targeting a similar niche as you, um, you know, with, with the kind of the higher end wood stuff, what they do is a lot different than you. Um, so, like it's now gotten to the point where I wonder whether they're a reality show versus a um, thing. So I'd, I'd be curious what your thoughts from the outside watching, cause it didn't start that way. And then suddenly it turned into like, and anybody watching it, you go to their YouTube and it's, I mean, it's drama. It's just, it's literally almost a weekly drama show. Um, as somebody who's in the business, like, what do you think when you see that? Hmm. Yeah, we we know them well. Um, uh-huh. I I know Doug, the former CEO. We've we've talked many times. He actually was at the first con that we went to at Origins. I think it was probably six years ago. And he introduced himself, and I knew who he was before he you know as soon as he walked up. They started about two three years before us. Well, I don't think I realized that. Yeah, and and they you know that takes into account the two years we spent on games. So sure. they, they had quite a bit of a head Huge start. Huge head start. Um, there's, they're an amazing company. Uh, they're probably, you know, before the table Kickstarter, I think I would, I would put them at five, six times our size as far as staff, probably revenues somewhere Isn't in that. Funny, I never would have guessed that because because I've like you're my company, so mm-hmm. that's what yeah. I've always been. That's, that's great funny. to that's hear. It, it, yeah. it is, but they're they're much bigger than us, and you I can did not tell, realize that. You, you can just. We're in the same industry. We're in the manu- right. American manufacturing industry. Yeah, um, I know how many employees they have, um, just because they're open about it. Sure. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I, they're on a different model than we are. Um, we started on a Kickstarter model, um, and then we moved away from it. And we yep. got in, we got into some trouble during our component collectors, which you were a backer of. Yep. We're still fulfilling those three and a half years later. And we underpriced them by half and we never should have took that many orders as, as a company working out of a garage. Um, so we kind of learned that and we, we moved away from Kickstarter for a while. And we, you know, we, we made a lot of mistakes on a lot of those campaigns during the component collector directly after uh, that yep. we, we learned our lesson from. Um, and we stayed away from Kickstarter to grow our retail presence because mm-hmm. that's, Kickstarter is such an up and down kind of like it's a, it's whitewater rapids, right? Like, yeah. and you can't predict what's coming up and that's no way to run an American manufacturing plant. So we, we purposely moved away from it. Our Kickstarters now are very limited. Um, yep. We will limit it to a hundred items or we'll, we'll do monthly waves that are so small. We know that we're, we're, that's a self-limiting factor once once we're out six months seven months and we're we're at 199 backers we know that that's a limiting factor that nobody's going to put in for and, and, yep. and we get it and that's with purpose so they're going a different way and, yep. and god bless them you know i don't know 
I, I have a lot of thoughts about a lot of things that I'm, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. No, we're gonna, good. No, no, no. And, but it's, they, they're going to have some challenges. They, you know, they, they're really good at marketing and are they too good at marketing? I don't yeah. know. It, like it, it, is that the bane of it? You know, one of the things that a lot of people outside of the industry might not understand is that the, the revenues that you get from Kickstarter don't apply in a traditional sense as far as finances or loans. Um, banks don't consider that as revenue. It's a one-time order. So a no lot of kidding. Yeah. So a lot of the things you need to that we we ran into that with component collectors that, that, that did three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Um, we moved to a new facility from a garage. We went through that money in six months and, and we God. weren't even it. Yeah, we weren't even we were in. I have an MFA degree, Craig. <laughs> like that didn't set us up for for business success. Yeah. So, you know, we've been paying the price on that, like long term fulfillment for ever. And um it just you can't get a loan based on that. Um, it doesn't go into your your PNL. Right. So it, it's a different business model. And when you tie yourself to that business model, you you rise and fall with it. So it's it's interesting to me. And I've talked to several several companies, designers, and owners that you know, have done Kickstarter, uh, did it for a while, stopped it, similar to what you're talking about. Ones that would never do it again. Uh, ones that have their business model built around it. And one of the things that I think that is a misconception and correct me if I'm wrong on this one from, cause it's, a, I know I have no firsthand experience, but you know, the perception for people that aren't in the business is like, wow, what a great cash flow, right? You get all your money up front and you're good to go. But the more I hear about it, it's a, it's a cash flow challenge because for that exact same reason, which is, you know, you don't have a regular flow of money coming in you get it and as it's burning, it's burning, it's burning and there's no replenishing it. You can't go out there and ask for more money. No, it's a liability. Yeah. It, it, that's if you want to view it as such, that's, that's how we view it. Interesting. It, you know, we run a Kickstarter and we'll do $30,000. That is yeah. a $30,000 liability. Interesting. And, and it's not cash flow money machine. And you yeah. have to, you have to spend that very carefully. Um, the longer fulfillment takes the the more unforeseen things that occur. <laughs> You know, yeah. we're, we're, we're delivering cocoa still, and there are fabrics that we had made that had used them that aren't made anymore. And that's that something. we've had to change. And just what's the cost of that compared to, you know, what it was three, four years ago. Right. And, right. and you, yeah. you make a mistake. <clears throat> it is because of the uncapped nature of Kickstarter, unless you personally cap it yourself. Any mistake that you made, if you underprice anything, that is times 10, times 20. What You don't know what it's going to be. And that's one of the problems we had at the component collectors. They were probably half-priced what they should have been. And and you, and know, you just figured that out too late. Yep, yep. And yep. look, Wormwood, they're an amazing company. They've done, they've grown quicker than us. Um, they run things a lot differently than we do. They're amazing marketers. And they're probably a lot smarter than I am. Um, but it, if I had... You know, they had the table Kickstarter that did nine million dollars. Yeah, I, I would have canceled that because I'm I am I would have canceled that on day one. Yeah, um, because if you if you do something, if you're selling that well, then it's underpriced. Oh, well, you know, that's a very interesting way to put it. That's exactly right. Um, well, I love my component collector um, and I'm one of the backers that have gotten it. And it sounds like the vast majority have, but you still have some trailing ones that are handing mm -hmm. out there. Um, what, ha what happened to just too, 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 too many customization options. Oh yeah. Um, 
I mean, because that's when I saw it, I'm like, God, this is great. I get to pick this. And I get to pick that. I pick that. But yeah. the the business owner in me is just like, what an effing nightmare. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that's absolutely 100% true. Um, you know, the business consultant I talked about earlier, he called me about 10 minutes before we launched and he was looking at that page and he's like, and, and we had, you know, we'd, we'd done an $80,000 Kickstarter before then. And, you know, we were hovering right around, around there for our Kickstarter. So we had no idea that anything we would do would be 350, 400 grand. And uh, he called me and he's like, I feel like these are underpriced. I'm like, no, 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 no. They were, by the way. They were, they absolutely were. Um, <laughs> no, the funny thing is they weren't when we were working out of Mike's pole barn where his surgeon wife was paying electricity for, and we had two employees and we were paying ourselves. <laughs> Doing it on and the weekend when you had extra time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah but once you sell, I, I don't even know how many, five, five, six thousand of those. God, um, yeah, those mistakes get, get made. And, yeah. and, you know, a lot of people, they, we lost a lot of customers from that. From I'm sure. We did. And I get and that it. just sucks. It does. That just sucks. I get it though. I, I understand it. Um, you know, that we had, when we closed that project, the day we closed, our fulfillment was 50 a month. Mm-hmm. So if, if you take with the day we closed and how many pledges, that's a seven year fulfillment yep. timeline. Yep. And so once we moved, I, I made the terrible mistake of saying, Hey, I think we can do 500 a month. Um, and this is, I remember saying that on an update, um, we were in an empty building. We hadn't moved yet. We moved in between Origins and Gen Con, which is a terrible time to move. <laughs> and um, it was just, then we thought, oh, we're going to have, we're going to fulfill this in a year. We're going to sell them like crazy. We're going to have revenues coming in like mad. Yep. And then our retail revenues are a fraction of what you need to, to yep. have a space and, and 20 employees. And we burned through that pretty quickly. When you start talking about, you know, 90,000 a month that you need and your, your revenues are 20, then it's pretty easy to go through 350 grand pretty quick. Well, and I can tell you, Michael, that um, try to figure out how to word this. Cause I want it to be accurate. Um, I'm the kind of guy that would have said, you know what? Screw you. Mm-hmm. You know, I gave you my money. Where's my stuff. But I will tell you whether this was a conscious thing on your part or not, because um, I, I mean, I, I got mine, but I waited a good bit. I waited longer than I was supposed to right, mm-hmm. to get mine. Um, there was two big factors for me. The reason that I am still a big fanboy and do not hesitate to spend money with you. Um, one, this is before we've even talked, obviously. One is the transparency through all of that on the Kickstarter was something I had never seen before. Hmm. Like you guys owned your shit. Yeah. Um, and, and whether you like we're conscious about that or not, or it's just who you are. It had a huge impact on me as the consumer. Like I got, I got, you didn't, you didn't go silent. Cause that's when things get screwy, right? Like yeah. oh, suddenly if I don't hear from you and trust me, I've got oh, well over a dozen Kickstarters that have never been fulfilled that I've backed. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> and, and yeah. And, and as soon as it goes dark, I'm like, that's it. We're done. I know we're done now. Um, but you guys never did that. You had, you, you said this was a mistake. This is where we screwed up. This is where I screwed up. And like that had a huge impact on me as a customer. I got to well, tell you. It's good and to then on t- to top it off, when I got the damn thing, I'm like, holy shit, this is really nice. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, if it had sucked, then you would have lost me too, yeah, but yeah. it didn't suck. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it, so yeah. my last question on that is hands down, when I sit down at a gaming table, I use it when I play tabletop games. So like Malifaux and stuff like that. I use it when I 
do board games. I pull it out. Um, and now I use it with my role playing every time. Where did you get that? Where did you get that? Mm -hmm. Where did you get that? So is there a future for the component collector or are you going to be so freaking happy when that last one's made that you never want to look at it again? There is no future for the component collector. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to say, um, there, yeah, it, it's done. Uh, we, we had them available for pre-order for, I think three or four months after we moved into the building, after we kind of knew we were in trouble. And yeah. I think at one point the price was three X or four X what they were originally. Yeah. Um, and we were trying to dissuade people. We, we, we didn't want to take more orders from them. And we offered like 110% store credit to our backers at one point. Yeah. And I remember refunds that. And people weren't taking it. And I'm like, damn it, people take it. I don't want to make these anymore. Yeah. And it's, it honestly, it costs us 15 to 20 grand a month right now to fulfill. Oh, 100. God bless you, man. That's rough. Yeah. That but we're going to, we're going to do, we're going to build every one. And you know, it's, when things get tight and it's Christmas and, and I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's not the first thing to go, but we have to make strategic decisions at that point and we'll fall below our goals. But you know, I've got different responsibilities now too. I've got, I've got back well, responsibilities, which I'm we're at 94%. I think if anybody's doubting that we're going to finish that, that like proofs in the pudding, like empirically yep. it's true that we're going to, we're just going to finish this. Is it, is it a blemish on our brand? Hundred percent, absolutely. Yeah, and and I understand we've lost a lot of those clients, and we'll never give it, get them back. But that's all right. I can't worry about that. It's just progress. What do we do better going forward? So there, there was there was a lot of ways to handle it, Michael. And I, I you know, I, my heart goes out to you, and I felt like you handled it the right way. Well, thank um, you. And I, I don't hesitate that. to spend money with you again. So I got um, I got banned from reading Coco comments because I I take those personally, and I had oh, I can't imagine, dude. So I can't I got, imagine. Yeah, it's it's. It, and I get it. it and, you know, the, the well, that makes it even worse, right? Because mm -hmm. you understand why the guy's pissed. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and I get it. And I want to yeah. tell him the truth. We're, we're actually going to do a video once we're done, maybe a little sooner than that. If we reach like 95%, I think we're going to, we're going to, Mike Cameron and I are going to sit down. We're going to shoot a video update and we're going to go into kind of one of the, a lot of the reasons why we screwed that up and just Smart. be really open and, and, Go look, we know we know we lost you. Um, cool, I, I get it. I got I got yelled at at Origins by a backer um, two years ago, and it was a guy I knew. Um, I had talked to him oh, about stuff, and he screamed at me in front of like a full booth of people, and that I feel that. But yeah. at the same time, I'm like, that's. $40 gaming accessory. Like, like I'm, I'm a grown How man. How bad did you want? How bad did you want to put 40 bucks on your pocket? Like, like I'll, I'll refund you. Yeah. Like, don't, don't come screaming at me yeah. about it, but yeah. I understand disappointment as well. So yeah, it's, um, I've been very lucky in my career that my mistakes were not that public. Mm, I think that's yeah. probably the best way to put it. Um, yeah. and like I said, um, you guys had many ways you could handle it. Um, and I have been a customer of seeing it handled many ways. So, um, but uh, that's that's rough, dude. That's yeah, rough. No, but what's good it. news is that you're you're still you're still doing it. Yep. So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk a little bit about the actual manufacturing process because I really want to understand, um, you know, how we go from there. Nothing exists to suddenly we have a prototype to suddenly we're able to produce it, um, you know, on a, on a, a, a sustainable level. So we'll be right back.
Howdy friends, Craig here. You deserve a new playmat. Here on the third floor, we use mats by Mars. They are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, almost free of glare and lighter than neoprene. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. You pick a mat, pick a design, and then you pick an overlay, like one for Marvel Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition. Those overlays will really speed up your deployment and make the placement of objective markers so easy. Use our promotion code in the show notes to get a 10% discount on your first order. In the notes of your order, you can even request the third floor logo on your mat for free. That makes the best mat in the business even a little better. So get some new mats, save yourself some money, and help support the show. Go to matsbymars.com. All the details are in the show notes, including the discount code. So, Michael, one of the things that I love about having this podcast and talking to people like you is um, there's a lot of shit in the world I don't know, right? Like, so I've done, I've made like shitty furniture before, right? So, I mean, <laughs> Me like too. I have a, so like, yeah, if I go down to my garage, I've got a saw and stuff like that. And, you know, and I, I've built some things and they're embarrassing. Um, but um, it, it's, I'm fascinated about the reality of it. So I, what I'd like to do is I would like to step through from initial idea to we're selling it on the website. So is there a somewhat recent product that was that, that, that we could use as an example to kind of step through that? What's a good product to step through that process with? Yeah, I think the, the lantern dice tower is actually a pretty good one because it's, it's really complex. Yep. Um, it's different than what we've made before, but still kind of consistent with where we want the brand to go. So well, it looks like one of your products, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When Thank I saw you. it, um, and what you, what you need to do is um, again, for those listening, you've got to go check this stuff out. Um, and uh, the, I, I don't have this lantern uh, dice tower, but I've been, I've been eyeballing it pretty good. So yeah. let's, let's start it. So the thing does not exist. Doesn't so exist. Where, where's the first idea? Where's the first thought come from? Well, we, you know, basically we want to, we want to kind of fill every niche of an RPG table, but do it in a way that's never been done before. And that's kind of one of the things that we put on ourselves is let's do this so that first off that it works. It's gotta it's gotta work for me at my table. Yep. And and it's gotta fill my need. And then it's gotta be able to be producible. That's you know one of the, the things we learned is cool, we can make one. We have to think how do we make a thousand? Yeah. And that has to come into play every product that we designed. So I remember we were going, uh, Cameron and I was right after the pandemic, I think. I might be getting my timelines wrong, but um, after we came back from lockdown, um, we were going to pick up, pick up plexiglass. We had to pick it up because plexiglass is one of the things that was massively impacted by, right, by lockdown. Right. Um, because every storefront needed it, every you yeah. know, public facing space did. So we were like scouring the state looking because our normal supplier didn't have it. So we're driving, Cameron and I were driving there and we were talking about our dice towers. And I've always wanted to make a, a better dice tower than what anything that we've offered in the past. But one of the things that we kept hitting on was the tray. Um, there's an awkward quality to a dice rolling tray. It, it takes up a lot of table space. Yep. It's, it it dis- disrupts the aesthetic of the tower itself by having this bottom L to it. So, and, and you know, our stuff we do, we like organic kind of looking things that feel thematic and that the tray, if, if you're doing a Cthulhu dice tower with tentacles all over it, the tray being a, a rectangle, just, it doesn't work. Right. So 
I always, I always thought that I, I don't use, um, I didn't use a dice tower myself until we made these little traveling dice towers um, that are really small and personal and work great on a small table. Yep. But that's basically like a, a vertical dice tower because there's such a small table footprint. So I think that's, you kind of put these constraints on yourself just through brainstorming and talking, talking it out a little bit. It's, people do that as artists a lot. So when right. I was in art school, I'd say like, all right, uh, 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 paint something in using only blue and pink. And it's a person. And, and those constraints kind of lead to creative breakthroughs in some ways. And people don't, a lot of people don't realize, because you're speaking my language, is like so much of creativity, especially artistic creativity, is, is problem solving. Mm-hmm. A lot oh, of yeah. it is problem solving and, and give, imposing the problem. Yeah. You know, what if this, or can I do this? So that makes total sense to me. So, so, so if you sum up the constraints is you wanted uh, an aesthetically pleasing functional dice tower and the bottom tray piece was, was the bugaboo. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I a hundred percent agree with you at creative problem solving. That is yeah. my entire job is creative problem solving, yep. whether it's managing people or creating product or whatever. So, um, yeah, so we so we came up with this idea like why don't why isn't there a vertical dice tower? One that like the trade is in and of itself. So there's no other footprint but the dice tower itself. And we just this and this is how Cameron and I work. We, it was an hour conversation in a truck while we were driving to pick up plexiglass. So and you know the beauty of it is because we have so much experience now and we understand the manufacturing process and our manufacturing process is so flexible. We can do, we can just say, cool. What if it's see-through and it's got a plexiglass tower inside and it's held together and the wood, you can see through the wood because it's cut out entirely. So you can still see the dice. So I, I don't know. At, at one point it's restrictive. And then we brainstorm on, on the, um, what's possible beyond that. Yeah. And and that's all that happened. We we released this little thing called the Dragon Glass, and it's basically a see-through dice box. Mm-hmm. So Cameron is, is the programmer, and he likes to he's the 3D sculptor, and he loved the idea of wood that you can that's cut all the way through with armatures that hold the box together. So dice aren't going to fall out, but he he loved the look of that, and nobody else is doing that, and mm-hmm. that's another thing we strive for as well. So he's like, what if I do that as the sides of the dice tower? We put the plexiglass inside as kind of the baffle thing, and then it just lands below itself. And, um, yeah, I, that's how that first started. And then at the same time, um, we were getting hit up by a, a think tank from MSU, uh, uh, some kids that were working on this LED lighting strip. And um, they 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 liked the company and they came in. And they pitched us an idea. Uh, we didn't go for the idea and we didn't steal it. But it, it was just interesting at the same time that we're the like, timing oh, of it. Yeah, the, the timing was really interesting. Um, and they they wanted to do something that was like flat, completely like a flat piece of paper with LED lights that was like the back of the screens would be fully illuminated, something like that. So it didn't it didn't fit in well. But we were discussing a lot about what LEDs could actually do for the product. And uh, we just started researching that. And then we kind of rested on our crew a little bit to, to fill in a lot of the blanks. We have a lot of really skilled people with varied um, backgrounds. Right. And one of we have a tinker and he's like, oh, I can I can build you an LED panel for that. And yeah. we put it put it at the bottom of the dice tower. 
Bluetooth compatible and it's and it's crazy. And you know, we have a plexiglass armature with a wood outside structure and the LEDs light up that that plexiglass that and you want to talk about a luxury item that you don't need that oh, yeah. that dust tower is certainly a luxury oh, item that I you mean, don't need. And it's what and here's the thing, right? Like so I remember I remember getting the first email about it mm-hmm. and I was like, oh okay, cool. And and I saw the price and the price made me go, well, that wasn't what I I don't know what I was expecting. That's not what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. But that's the beauty of of me knowing you as a customer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is I even even if there's something, um, and this is a challenge for you as a producer, I imagine, like I know it's worth that. The question is, is whether I want to spend that, right? Sure, and those yeah. those are two different things. But let's go back. So now you guys are driving back from there. You start to get, you get the initial idea. You kind of and now do you were you both visualizing it at that point? Like it had had it been partially built in yeah, the truck? It, um, yeah, but it was a lot different. Um, I could show you that that I have the first prototype that we built. Yeah, uh, it, it didn't have lights. It didn't have. It, it, I think. It had the base, but it was drastically different. And then it didn't have four sides of wood. Basically, it had two sides of wood with a plexiglass armature in between that to hold it together. And then it emptied out onto itself. And I think that's it. I, you know, that's you start somewhere, right? And then you keep going. And that that took I don't I don't even know three months probably yeah. till we had till we had one iteration of it that worked. So it, it's there's endless problems like laser cut plexiglass with cnc wood on the outside it's just everything something doesn't fit yep. for nine trials and and, and i'm going to try to describe it for people so imagine a dice tower listeners that that doesn't have your traditional rollout tray but imagine it's just the tower and you drop the dice in the top and the bottom is the tray Right. And you reach in and you can see the dice, which is really cool the way you guys did that so that you can because that's the other thing is visibility. I want after I roll the dice, I like to see the damn things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's, it's very fascinating. I'm glad we picked this for the for the decision. So the iteration is so th- then you do the first prototype, obviously identify immediate problems. So what were some of the immediate problems in the prototype that you said, this doesn't work? We've got to fix this. Well, baffles are a pain in the ass for one thing. I, okay. Just because every the speed of the dice, how many roll in. Um, so basically if you can imagine it, you know, it, it's, it's a lantern. So it looks like a lantern that you would hold and carry around. And the top part of the lantern is filled with five baffles. Right. Um, then we have an empty space and then a, the, the tray itself on the bottom. So as we, we changed that size, we knew what kind of like dimensions we wanted aesthetically, but as we changed those size, those baffles increase in size and distance. So every time you make a baffle farther apart from another baffle, speed increases. So right. then you get dice kicking out on which the tray. Which is the last thing you want. Which is the last thing you want. And we also, to, to have visibility, we couldn't have one-inch sides on the bottom base surrounding that tray. So you're balancing that very limited, like a half-inch space to keep the dice in with how many baffles you want to get randomness. The baffles have to be the right size so they don't get trapped in there. Yeah. And then, it, I don't know, it just takes, so so a lot of, we had the outside aesthetic worked out for quite a while, and, and we knew we could do that. Right. Um, we knew we could make that work eventually, but we had to get the guts working. And that, you know, you do, that's three people working on 
changing a file, transferring that file, somebody on the CO2 laser cutting it, trying it, putting it together. And then we had problems with um, different plexiglass has different kind of coatings. So some are, some are paper lined, some are film lined. And because we were cutting so thin, some of the paper was burning up or it would melt and it wouldn't come off. Yeah. And you're talking about five, six, seven layers of, of plexiglass to make wow. the internal baffle. That's that's an hour and a half of work just for somebody to rip the the film off and then put yeah. it together. And it's it's all those unforeseen kind of issues that you need to work out um, as you go through that kind of creative process. And, and I think that's why I love it so much and why Cameron and I work so well together. He's very technically oriented. I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good problem solver. Um, but I know I'm the gamer out of the two of us. So I know what I, what I want. You're the test kitchen. Yeah, I'm the test kitchen. And, and, and I'm also in charge of all our production. So Mm -hmm. I need, I have that in mind as well. So how hard is this going to be going forward? Well, you've got an eye for aesthetics as well, right? As Mm -hmm. As a background, as an artist, I mean, you, you can, you can appreciate the value of good aesthetics as well. Um, but that is an interesting problem to solve now that you're saying it's what it's, it's amazing, Michael, I see it and I go, what a great idea, right? Mm-hmm. Having no idea the problems that had to be solved, like, cause in my head, all I see is the working product. I drop the dice in the top, they drop down to the bottom. It's high enough that I can see them and grab them. But mm-hmm. obviously, you know, but boy, that that's, that's real easy to, <laughs> to at the end product. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine the iterations that goes through. Um, now, something else that is very signature for you guys um, is the ability, and we talked, touched on it a little bit, is the customization. The ability, you really allow incredible amount of customization. Um, is that something that you consider a tenant or, because it'd be easier if you didn't, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and, you know, how do you balance that, right? Because at some point you got to say, look, this part you can't customize, or it's not it's not feasible for us to price this such that you, this can be customized. Where, how do you figure that out? Uh, it's, it's customization within a set of constraints. Um, so yeah. we, we understand what we're capable of doing and what the differences are between those two things or between any product. So we, we know what the window is, basically. We, we know what we can funnel through. Um, our product line a year ago was much bigger. So after, after lockdown, we probably halved everything that we offered as far as products. Um, which helped quite a bit. So yeah. do do the things we do best, better and quicker and more customizable. Um, we used to we used to customize everything, and yeah. every option was was available. We're still pretty wide in that regard. It's impressive. But, no thanks, but it's all within it's all within the same catalog, right? right? Um, and then we kind of ba- counterbalanced that about a year and a half ago. We knew that having in-stock items was a really good offering for us and that it spurs on our retail. So um, it's great for the staff. We let them do whatever they want within reason on in-stock items and experiment a little bit. And a lot of our, a lot of the stuff that becomes staples as far as customization are started by the staff because they're coming up with really cool engravings or they're putting it on a side that we didn't consider or yeah. something that we didn't even think was possible. We're doing inlays now, um, like silver and gold inlays on screens that are engraved and glow in the dark screens. That's one of our, our crew. Jake came up with those and uh, it's, it, it's still the same product that we always did, but it's something that they can push a little farther 
and we see how it goes. You know, we 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 put it up as a one-off in-stock item. Um, it's available that you can buy it. You, what you see is what you get for right. one thing, which is hard to find anywhere. And um, it, it ships in like four days. So it That's might not incredible. be, yeah, it's, it, it might not be the thing that you dreamed that you could get, but it's right. something you've never seen before. And a lot of people are like, that's perfect. And and the more cool stuff we put out in, in stock, the more we sell on custom. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's well, it doesn't insane. surprise me because it, 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 um, it was, I think, I think where I started with the GM screen was an in-stock item. I was eyeballing an in-stock item and, you know, debating it and debating it. And, and then I ended up customizing. It. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that, that makes a ton of sense to me. Um, so let's talk about the outside of those freaking screens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, and again, for those of you that haven't gone to the site, just go to the site and you're just going to hold on to your wallet. Um, pretty sick. Oh <laughs> God. So, and let's use Alyssa as the, as the, as the person you partner with uh, for a screen. So what are the steps? Do you have a concept? Like you go to Alyssa or somebody like her and you say, Hey, I'm thinking dragon this or Viking that. And then, can you walk me through that process? A, a new, a new inlay. Yeah, um, she handles all the sculpt, anything sculpted. Basically, is she's the initial artist for it. it used to be me, uh, but she's so much better than I was, she's, dude. She's so good. She's sick. Yeah, it's crazy, and and incredibly fast. She knows exactly what we need from that. Um, a lot of the 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 sketches that she does for screens aren't very detailed because the wood grain fills in a lot of that that area that we don't need a lot of that texture. So we'll come up with a, a, a an art description of something we want. And, and when we started, it was like, do a Cthulhu, do a spell book, do three dragons. And she right. we'd like, go ahead. And she came back and we'd, we'd pick off the thumbnails of what she do and then decide to finish those pieces. So um, basically she draws it, gets it back to us in a thumbnail. We approve that. She fit, finalizes it, make sure it fits within the parameters of, of a three or four panel screen. Yep. And then uh, Cameron sculpts them digitally. No kidding. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. So he takes her 2d mm-hmm. and, and, ext- and extrudes it out. Correct. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. That and, it, and it's all hand sculpting. It's all, it's, no clay, kidding. it's clay on a screen basically. Wow. On a computer screen. So it, it's that fine. Detail. It, he doesn't push a button and it, Right, it, it right. comes out, and yeah, he's he's gotten much better at it too. So, um, yeah, and then we usually run a prototype on cheap wood and see how it turns out. Make some changes, and then yeah, we're off to the race. Then it goes from there. Um, now, when I interviewed Alyssa, one of the things that she mentioned it was it was super helpful when she was in house to be there with the other steps in the process. And mm-hmm. she she cited that as part of the reason why it's. Uh, easier for her, she thinks, to be able to create these because she understands the other steps after her yeah. and being that close to it. So I would imagine from your side, you would have the same feeling about going to her as an artist, right? So her knowing that and having that in-house experience must make it uh, easier for you to to not have to explain things to a new artist, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. there's different considerations that you wouldn't understand that the Valhalla screens have the initiative tracker on the top. Yep. So and we cut those organically into the design. Now there's an option to get them flat, but you got to go organic. I think <laughs> like you just have to. But that Treat means yourself. yeah. But that means it can't be a, a, an entirely active edge on top that, sure. that wouldn't work. So th- being 
understanding the process and, and that understanding that's a router cut that has to cut through those edges and hopefully turn out a little bit flat without tearing off a lot of the problems. Yeah. And then seeing some of the issues with sanding some of the, the deeper organic kind of qualities of a sculpt or something. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's gotta be neat for you, Michael, to think back to, I didn't know shit about shit when it comes to this stuff to where you are now. That's got, I mean, I mean, like you got to laugh a little bit, like using terms and talking about tools that you had no idea what those tools were X number of years ago. Um, That's gotta be a kind of a neat process, that learning process. Yeah. It's certainly not the job you sign up for. It it is not. I was with the art background. I came out and developed all the stains that we used and the, and the colors that we used. And that's what I did when we started. I was staining yeah. 60 hours a week at wow. one point, just crazy. And now, now my main job is managing the people under me, yeah. um, and, which is vastly different. And that's, yeah. that's a relatively recent change, probably two and a half years. Wow. Um, so it's, it's crazy. Running a staff of 20 is completely different than. It's hard. It is. It's hard. It's, it's, yeah. Man- it's managing people's hard. Yep. Luckily. But it's great. Very rewarding. And that's how, I mean, that's what I do for a living is manage mm-hmm. people. And, and that's exactly right. I mean, it's hard as hard as hell, but man, oh man, it can be rewarding, but it's, but very different wheelhouse for you. Yeah. Um, so how often do you get to go back and, and itch the artist scratch? Uh, every once in a while, I think, you know, you find it in different ways now. I, I, I think product development is still big and I enjoy that a lot. Although we're, yeah. we're kind of slowing our pace because of the constraints that we know we're under. We just don't want to throw everything out there. Yeah. Um, but but I still find that kind of creative outlet and I don't know, making interesting marketing or um, putting out a good video. Or th- 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 I get that fix every day, That's I think, cool. in different ways. But I still I'll, I'll go out and stain. Now, if my staff is listening to me, they'll say I get out there once every six months. But every <laughs> once in a while, I, I do get out there and I'm, I'm definitely trying to make more of an effort to get out there a little bit more and kind of show off what I can do. Well, and, and, and that makes you better at what you do, right? Yeah, being out absolutely. there and being, being closer to it. Yep. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about two things. One, I want to talk about being a, uh, an accessory maker to the stars. Um, mm. We kind of touched on it a little bit. And then I also want to talk about the newest Kickstarter uh, for me that I backed with them. And I just got the game in um, and uh, it's uh, the Labyrinthos. And I, I found out something about who designed that game that I didn't know before. So we're yeah. going to talk about talk about that game. And I also want to talk about uh, where you might have already seen their products. So we'll be right back. Right now is the part of many podcasts where someone comes on, interrupts the show, and explains that you should consider paying for the content you're already getting for free. They'll go on and explain that by giving a dollar or more a month, you not only support the show, but you allow the show to grow and improve. Here on the third floor, we commit to not interrupting your episode of Tabletop Talk with such a plea. We pledge not to run a spot asking you to go to patreon.com and give a dollar or more a month. Even if there's a link in this show's description, and there is, we won't ask you to click it and become a patron. We won't spend time yammering about the benefits like early access to episodes, getting those episodes without ad breaks, or even getting a chance to play in one of Craig's RPG sessions. Anyway, enjoy this episode we needed to clarify that we wouldn't do this type of solicitation. 
Hi, this is Brian. I started listening to Third Floor Wars for information and insight about my favorite miniatures game, Malifaux. But I also get great interviews with game writers, designers, and artists, as well as some fantastic role-playing sessions with some really great players. I've been supporting them on Patreon for a year and a half so far, and it has been well worth it. Time to give a quick shout-out to some of our newest patrons. A big thank you goes out to Greg Packman, Eric Conrad, Joe Root, Alan Cardinal, Raven Shadow, Richard Beach, Philip Savoy, Patrick Allen, Third, Sean P. Kelly, Jesse Ravicki, James Kahn, and Rage Quitwire. Because of you and the other 100 plus patrons, we're able to put out content on a regular basis, and we appreciate it. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. So, Michael, uh, you, you, we talked about it a little bit. So was Geek and Sundry kind of the first time uh, your products got FaceTime elsewhere? Yeah, I think so. That, that, of anywhere of significance. Certainly. Um, it was Ivan Van Norman, um, and he was working on, uh, not on Deadwood, but it was, uh, I can't remember the game now. I'm terrible. My memory's shot. Too, many, too much wood dust and varnish. <laughs> Sniffing stain. Yeah, I feel terrible. But yeah, it was, it, was, it was an Ivan Van Norman show on Geek and Sundry, and we made the first custom screen for it. And yeah, that was the first like we were so excited to, to be at geek and sundry that was a big deal yeah. at that time it was massive and did it have an impact like you know like does that did you see that turn into a visibility for you guys um i in a in a different way than you might be thinking i don't think interesting it, it doesn't occur you don't see 2000 sales that day right. from from that i think it's it's more the doors that it opens up to you afterwards and i think there's a a layer of trust that it builds with other people in the industry. And it certainly led us to some of the licensing that we got for vampire and Pathfinder and call of Cthulhu, stuff like that, that just, once you get that legitimacy built in by having somebody of that level kind of give you their, you know, their go ahead and the thumbs up. That's what it really led to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you consider your most famous screen at this point? It's probably the Joe Manganiello screen. I would have to say that. (laughs) That thing's a beast. And, you know, that's funny. That's a that's a really good example of how that opens up. We got reached out to by WWE um, to do a screen for their live stream of Up, Up, Down, Down. And they were doing wrestlers playing RPGs. And, no kidding. Yeah. And we thought that was really interesting and, and yeah. hell yeah. And it's, you know, there's half a million people subscribed to it. So we did that. And then um, Big Show, yeah. uh, the wrestler. Who's a huge RPG. Huge RPGers. RPGs. He's yep. in Joe Manganiello's game. And he reached out to us and he 
demanded we work with him and we said yes <laughs> you don't say you don't say no to big show <laughs> no you do not no no not at all and i think that's one of the things that it does it just yeah whether it leads you to a licensing deal or it, i don't know it, and it's not well it puts you in a different sphere is that accurate yeah it does and and it's all contributes to your long-term growth over and over again in a lot of those licenses we i remember we got the the vampire license and we were in, insanely excited about it I bet. um and you know we we talked about like do we have to expand our sites um do we have to expand the bandwidth do we need to hire people and it just doesn't happen that way like it yeah. just it, it's more it's of a, a slow burn. burn yeah it absolutely is and it's doing wonderfully for us now it's, it's amazing right. But it's, it's you not didn't that. wake up the next morning. No, 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 no. I have a, one of my favorite sayings. I, I don't know who came up with this. It might be me. But a lot of people, they're looking for the unicorn, but you need to be the donkey. Yeah. And you just, you have to, you, there's no one click button push to, to being a success. Yeah. And you just have to keep going. Persistence is key. Um, keep pushing it all the time and do what you do. And it'll come, it, you know, the seven-year overnight success. Well, <laughs> seven-year overnight success. <laughs> right, but but part of that is, and it's something that um, that we've hinted at or I've explicitly said it, is make, making sure that the quality's there, right? Mm-hmm. Because like like we said, gamers gamers are, are going to call you out on it, right? If, yep. if it's garbage, it's going to get called out as garbage, and everybody's going to end up knowing about it. Yeah. Um, versus, you know, um, you know, the times that I've pulled out my screen, and people are like, whoa, like, what is that? And then they feel it, right? Then they, then they touch it. And so they're like, holy cow, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, and I say, look, you know, this is, this is what I pay for it. And they're like, well, yeah, that makes sense to me now that I've got my hands on it, you know? But that, that um, you know, who knows if that's going to turn into sales, right? And, right? and it's not going to turn into sales the day after they look at it, because they're going to probably do the same thing I do, which is they're going to noodle on it and, and, you know, and then there'll, there'll be the, the moment that they pull the trigger and, yeah. and um, that that doesn't happen overnight. Um, so talk to me about the board game La- uh, Labyrinthos. Yeah, um, I saw it come up on Kickstarter from you guys. Now, remember, I didn't know that you guys had made games first. Right, right. So I was like, what the hell are these guys doing? And so I watched the watched the Kickstarter video. Um, I noticed I was immediately drawn to the aesthetic of it. The artwork mm-hmm. was just stunning on it. Then I found out Alyssa um who i'm a fan of drew it and i'd already backed at that point but got me even more excited where does the where did this come from like where did that start um we we hired Lindsay to make games for us basically um we knew from our past experiences as we've talked about that we weren't the game designers that we we thought we could be when we started um and she was a game designer and a damn good one and so we kind of stole her away um we brought her up here we were also she's my so so that's a that's a thing um but we we brought her up here to run customer service basically part-time oh, okay part-time and then the company really started to take off i think it was two months later was the component collector um kickstarter so then the company drastically changed and grew massively very quickly and uh, she had a lot of ideas for for games, and we wanted to see what we could do in the board game department, kind of piggybacking off of the back of the component collector. Right. So that's actually her second game through us. The first one 
is a hidden role game called Countdown Action Edition. Basically, Die Hard the game. Nice. Yeah, and it's good. It's it's a big group size, and I think that's one of the things that hurts it. It's like five to twenty. Yeah. So it's hard to get right now, especially hard to get five people in a room. Yeah. But um, but Labyrinthos is kind of, I think, the game that she was always meant to make with us. Um, it fits really well thematically. Um, it plays two to four. It's you. You play as Greek sacrifices to the original Labyrinthos kind of myth. So the Minotaur's in there. You have to find the four keys that Daedalus made to escape. And that theme of sacrifice kind of runs through it really well. Yeah, um, theme, the theme works. Yeah. And it, you have actions. And as you find the keys that Daedalus created, you have to cover up one of the actions that you had with that key, which gives you a new action. Yeah. But there's always something that goes away. And it, it's it's a really good. I've played it so many times. I bet you um, have. <laughs> yeah, it's so many times in so many so many different ways. But yeah, I really like it. It's a little it's a it's a little take that which which a I know bit. isn't yeah which isn't super massively in style in in the board game industry. Although I I always dig it a little bit. Um, yeah, but it's, I don't think it, I, and granted, I've only played, I've played a lot less than you have. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. It does, it, so it's, that's there, but I don't feel like that's the dominant thing. I think. The, yeah, I agree. Yeah. What I enjoy the most, one, I love mod, modular, right? So you, you've, the maze is different every time. And I've always like, like Carcassonne, stuff like that, where you're flipping the tiles over, mm-hmm. you don't know what it's going to be. And it kind of build the board builds as you go, which is really cool. Um, but the thing that made me really happy that I bought it. Um, it's not only did it look good in the components, I mean, it's quality stuff, mm-hmm. but, uh, there's some really, um, interesting decisions and you talked about it a little bit with the keys and stuff like this. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk your better half into coming on the show because I really <laughs> want to find out how she got here. Um, but uh, it's a very, very clever game and we'll link to it in the show notes. Uh, my board gamers, uh, listening, check it out. Um, if you like, if you like a board game that you can explain to somebody very quickly, that has a theme that works, but more importantly, if you're a board gamer like me, I like I like to have important decisions that impact if I'm going to win the game or not. And the game the game has that, yeah, um, and it's beautiful. So it's yeah. a, it's a it's a very very pretty game. And I think the last two rounds of that game are always different and always exciting, and you never know what's going to happen. And yeah, they're nail biters. They they're are, nail they biters. Yeah. And and the other thing that is for me that's it's critical with a good game is when I get done. If I lost the game, can I go back and go, had I mm-hmm. done this, it would have changed it. Like the yeah. game has to have that. So that, that makes me want to play again. Right. Yeah. So like, re-rack, let's do this over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Now, oh, yeah. now I know, or I see what they did to win and stuff. And, and yeah. it does a, it does a really good, uh, really good job with that. Um, so Michael, for people that are going to go to the site, um, if they haven't yet already, can we give them kind of an idea? Uh, we've touched on a lot of things. Um, the GM screens, um, can, can we give an idea of kind of the array of what's of what's available from a GM screen? Oh, yeah, it's it's three or four panels. Basically, they're landscape oriented. Um, so it's covers a lot of ground. You're talking 36 inches to 48, depending on the table that you have, but fully adjustable, fully customizable. And we try to cover all of the main themes in RPGs and in a, in a way that they're not always covered. I think, I think we do yeah. a good job, of, good job of that. So we have a, a Dracolich that's really evil and so cool. you, you can get it in black walnut or you can get it in abyssal black or demon's blood stain or selectively stained. So we, we just, we like to say that whatever game you're playing, you have something that fits. And I think that's where we get you. 
Because we know you're thinking about buying one Valhalla screen, but we want you to buy the other one for the next campaign you're going to run in five years as well. Once once you do that, because it's it's got to fit that game for the immersion. And I think that runs true in all our products. We have a ton of dice boxes, um, rolling trays, dice towers, and check out the R and D stuff too, because we're just we're always kind of filling that section with with different things and letting our woodworkers run a little wild, and they do a good yeah. job of it. And I think some of the things that, um, for those of you listening, this is not just GM stuff too, right? Uh, yeah. For uh, Let's talk about what players, our, our RPG players can Sure. Do. Yeah, the player pad is actually a, a so huge cool. thing for us. And that's, that's, we've talked about iteration of ideas, and that grew out of an idea that we had for a very small GM screen years ago. It's really interesting. Um, and that was like a, a storage system for GMs that you could like write on your lap when you're, you're you're running the game and it just works so much better for players than it does for GMs. And we change the size. So now it's, it's, a, it's about nine by 11 and it's a dice holder. Uh, it holds dry erase markers. It's got a little rolling tray involved. So it's basically a rectangle with a bunch of utility involved. But the really cool thing is, is that there's customizable plexiglass that acts as the cover and we etch the plexi to fit your system, your PC, basically. Yeah. So you can track spell slots. You can track key points if you're playing monks, which you should. Um, and <laughs> just a, a lot of different options. I think we have Starfinder on there, Pathfinder 2, yep. a bunch of 5e stuff. So it, it's super utility driven. It doesn't really have a lot of the thematic sculpture, although we're working on that, that a lot of our other products do. But it's straight up utility um, with some beautiful wood and beautiful state. Well, it's cool. And a lot of the, a lot of the times when when players, you know, are using scratch pad and, and no paper to do it, they can do it right on the box. Mm-hmm. They can grab the box, head right to the game, which I think is it, it's one of the, it was very clever when I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't fit my needs for for what I do, but I was immediately identified. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. And it's and it's neat um, for you, I would imagine, to expand out uh, your customer base. Right. Instead of just just instead of just the GM. Right. Um, now, other people can bring their theirs and then all the other players are going to want to get them too. <laughs> there's only one gm in every group how many players yeah. are there <laughs> yeah oh, I've, I've i've had that discussion where i'm like what a terrible business model role-playing games are yeah <laughs> like you can buy our book our book once and mm-hmm. you can play with 700 people and nobody right. else has to buy anything right <laughs> yeah yeah good model good, yes. good business model <laughs> that's funny um all right fantastic so obviously michael we're going to go ahead and put all these links in the show notes um and uh, the thing I will tell you guys is get on the mailing list. Um, you'd be surprised how often they have stuff come up that's in stock, um, that's priced not what you would expect. Um, and uh, it's it's definitely worth getting signed up for it. So we'll link to that as well. Uh, Michael, an absolute pleasure, my friend. Yeah, me too. That was great. Great to remotely meet you and uh, put a face <laughs> to the name. So, well, yeah, sometimes when it. when cons are a thing, we'll have to. Uh, We'll have to run into each other again. And like I said, uh, we can look forward to your significant other hopefully coming on the show uh, to talk about the process of uh, uh, building games. And for those of you that listen to the end, thanks for sticking around. Take care. Hey, did you hear that? You leveled up. You finished another episode of Tabletop Talk from Third Floor Wars. If you want more from the third floor, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Head on over to our YouTube channel. It is packed with painting tutorials, gaming tips, battle reports, and role-playing actual plays. Did you enjoy this episode? Why don't you send a link to one of your friends so they can enjoy it too? Last but not least, write us a review on your podcatcher of choice. 
This helps us find listeners almost as cool as you. This is probably where I'm going to combine. So what what we'll roll into is, and what I'm thinking for the promote segment, Mm -hmm. uh, Michael, is I would just like to give an overview of like, here's what, if you go to our site, here's what you're going to see. Yeah, that sounds Um, good. And just kind of talk through it, if that sounds okay to you. Perfect. Um, But I don't want to chintz on it because, you know, part of the reason you're here is hopefully somebody will buy something by listening. So Yeah, but I think that's better than the whole. Yeah. Okay. So we'll just kind of roll into it. Um. you still here look uh the podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers well i mean if you're here might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take care